fuck yes episode that I have been waiting a long time to record is an 18 Visions fucking episode of this podcast. I am your host, Jesse AHS, and this is the Heart God Media Podcast. Uh, I have just recently woken up. My voice may seem a little hoarse, um, but yes, this uh, I've been waiting to do this. Uh, I've been kind of caught up with stuff, shit with the holidays and, and what have you, but uh, if there was one band that this podcast has, you know, I needed to touch upon at some point in long form was 18 Visions. If anybody knows me, you know 18 Visions is, uh, you know, you talk your favorite bands of all time. And I have to say my very favorite, absolute 100% favorite band of all time is probably the Ramones. Something, you know, I just... You listen to the Ramones episode that Lou and I did. We're doing a second one, hopefully uh, soon after the new year. Uh, another one we just yeah, haven't been able to line up our schedules, but that's going to happen. But if I had to give a number two, a definite number two of all time, and the Ramones, the Ramones almost win by like seniority and like catalog alone. But anyone that knows me knows that since about two thousand two. This band has been the absolute, like, as far as, 100% as far as heavier music goes. When you talk metal and hardcore and, and metalcore and all that, and especially the big boom, the the huge resurgence of the, that stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. In the early 2000s, especially when I, you know, got into the heavier music, when I left the punk rock realms of, you know, uh, the Ramones and the Clash and, you know, the newer punk bands like Rancid and Pennywise, when I, like, I was almost hesitant to get into the heavier music right away. I remember having, uh, like, a, a few friends that were slowly, like, getting into, like, the heavier, heavier stuff, and and I'd always liked metal. I'd always, at, the, at that point, I had been a fan of, like, uh, like, Metallica, of course, and, you know, the big four anthrax and, and what I had heard, uh, you know, obviously of uh, Megadeth, but Slayer and uh, Metallica were already up there. Like, and I was so I was definitely into like metal. And then you talk like more classic, uh, classic stuff like Priest, uh, Maiden, like all those bands and even like bands that are kind of like on the outskirts of like cons- what you consider metal, you know, heavier, heavy metal. You know, obviously, I was a huge Black Sabbath fan as well. Like growing up with uh, having a father being a product of the seventies, um, obviously, like you know, the rootsier stuff. I was, I always loved, and I was. I'm always. I'm, I've always been a huge music fan. But when I first started getting into heavier music, I remember some of the first bands I got a burn CD from a friend. It had Hatebreed on it. It had Martyr AD. It had Disembodied which is, you know, the pre-Martyr AD band. Um, it had Boys in the Well. It had Bane. Did I say Hatebreed? Well, Hatebreed was on it. Um, and uh, 18 Visions. And I heard... Uh, I can't remember what song it was, honestly. It might have been Motionless and White. I could be wrong. It might have been... An, it it might have even been like, Who the Fuck Killed John Lennon, but whatever. As soon as I heard that song, I was like... Shit, I'm gonna go look all these bands up when I could get into school, uh, you know, the next day or it might have even been over the weekend. 
So I immediately like t- typed in 18 visions, tried finding whatever I could. You know, you're talking this is 2000, late 2001, early 2002, around that time. And then I f- stumbled upon Trust Kill Records. It's first site like I found, like that came up when I typed them in. Uh, and uh, was it? I'm trying to even think. Maybe it was a, a video site that was linked to like a trust kill. I don't even know. Either way, I remember going on there and seeing a live video. I think it was a live video of who the fuck killed John Lennon. And I want to say this is probably like February or March of 2002. I can't, I I can't remember the actual month, but we're talking like early 2002. And, you know, I that I immediately fell in love with uh I'm sorry if I'm, you know, dragging dragging stuff out, I'm trying to remember stuff. Um that was when I really started as soon as I discovered 18 Visions, I almost simultaneously discovered Poison the Well as well, both on Trustkill. So as soon as I discovered those two bands i immediately like became completely sold and engulfed in in it all so i immediately was like already you know uh, a friend of mine had already been you know considered himself straight edge you gotta think at this point we're 14 years old um and i was just like well i don't do that stuff like and i kind of relate to it i have no i i hate cigarette smoke because my parents smoked um I don't drink. I had no access to alcohol anyway because no no one in my family drank or anything. But I had no, like, I think I had uh, a beer when I was five and it was disgusting then. And I had no, and I think around that time I I took a shot of Jack Daniels with a friend at like 12 years old. And it was immediately like gagging and throwing up and all fucked up. Um so I knew that none of that shit was for me. So, you know, 2002, 14, and then you see these bands like 18 visions and, and Throwdown, who are both incestual bands. They shared so many members as well as bleeding through. Um, you know, I'm seeing all these, all these guys are straight edge. Like that's really rad, especially because they're playing like the super heavy music. Like it's the last thing you would expect from these guys that are playing this brutal fuck, these brutal, riffs and just have this like look especially 18 visions looked like they looked like such a and i've said this i've said this to you know when i've talked about them before to to people you know they were the closest thing to having a a full rock and roll stage show performance on the hardcore platform on those lower club levels um even in their earlier stages when they had first because when 18 Visions had started, they started in like 95, uh, you know, Southern California, Ken Floyd, uh, then their drummer, um, and James, you know, they go through several different, uh, little lineups here, um, until like, I think like late 96, 90, early 97, uh, 97, they put out, you know, the first like official release, which is uh, Lifeless, and that has Brandon Chappetti, who obviously later went on to play on a few more records with them, and he was also, uh, he also was the lead singer in Bleeding Through, another one of my favorite bands, um, 
and uh, kind of Floyd on drums. Dave Peters, who went on to play guitar and throw down and then took over the vocals for throw down for like the last one, two, three, four, like four or five records. Um, and Javier Van Hus, who was uh, with them up until a little bit after, until the ink runs out, uh, was on bass. And, uh, and that was like that first lineup. And that was obviously before I was into them. Um, and I didn't discover the lifeless record until I think maybe a year into being into 18 visions or so. So you're gotta, so, you know, I immediately like fell in love with the look of 18 visions, you know, at that point, because they didn't adopt that look, I think until I want to say like 98 when yesterday's time killed came out which was like the first you know, like official full length which is out of press and the fucking cd goes for fucking a million dollars every anytime it's online uh javier uh did do like a uh a cassette cassette quote-unquote repress uh on like black and gold and i did get a gold one from his uh from his uh, little web store there i was lucky enough to get one of those and he pressed uh, yesterday's time killed shirts and this is before the announcement of the 18 visions uh reunion that happened last year but or that you know this past year uh coming up on a year but they um they adopted that kind of style and sound bringing that you know look and it was all like it wasn't 100 percent purposeful it was just what they were into because I don't know if James did, but I know Ken worked at Banana Republic. So, like, they're all, like, nicer, like, nice, like, uh, fancier-looking clothes, you know. You got to think, like, blazers and and, and nice dress pants and, and just these, like, fucking sick rad ties and, and all this shit and, like, you know, silk scarves and... Um, and so they started incorporating that and wearing, you know, creepers and, like, just looked like... Looked like they were almost in a, in some aspects, looks like they were going to be in a super, like, I don't even know, like, mod punk psychobilly type band for, like, a second. Because they all had nice hair, and they all, like, wore, like, wore, like, all black, like, dressier clothes on stage before it ever became a fashion. And I, and we're going to, I'm going to dive into all the stuff 18 visions is think i think directly responsible for or at least played like a huge role in introducing it into the more alternative music scenes like metal hardcore and then you talk about you know the terrible genre names that you know came after that when you know a band did more singing than then they became emo screamo and then all those stupid fucking and man, if there's one thing that just like irks me to no end when someone's just like, I'm listening to, I mean, it doesn't happen now because I don't really associate, I don't really have to associate with strangers too much. But like, if I'm, uh, I'm listening to, I think I was, li- this is like, I can't even remember when this was. This wasn't long ago. And I was sitting and listening to something and uh, I was at work and someone walked up to me and they're like, oh, I like Screamo too. And legit, it was like fucking, I can't remember what I was listening to, but it wasn't Screamo. It might have even, I don't even know, it might have even been like, like, uh, like Death, like symb- the symbolic record or something. Like, oh, I like Screamo too. <sighs> don't call it Screamo. Just because they're screaming doesn't mean it's considered Screamo. Uh, 
But anyway. And that's not to say I don't like bands that are considered screamo. I just hate all these stupid fucking, like, mini labels. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. Like, I immediately fell in love with the look. And the fact that these guys looked the way they did. They looked like they were going to go, you know, open for fucking... I don't even know. Like, they were such a unique-looking band. They were such a unique-sounding band. And they remained that way because every record, like, was a jump. But getting back to when I first discovered them, and, you know, it was like... It was almost like uh, Kismet. Like, as soon as I found out about them, I'm saying it was like a month or two months or three months before, they were playing in Syracuse. And I'll never forget this show. It was a fucking um, insane show. Poison the Well headlining, and American Nightmare was on it, and Lamb of God was on it, and Hope's Fall was on it, and was Nora on it? I don't even remember if Nora was on it. Was Every Time I Die on it? I don't even know. But I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about the Every Time I Die show as well. Um, And I'm going to talk about the show, uh, the Every Time I Die show, which I saw 18 Visions at, played right under uh, Every Time I Die for the Every Time I Die Tid This Season Christmas show. But, um... Another thing I'm going to talk about is the headlining 18 Visions show I saw in Baltimore, which was two nights prior to that last Thursday, and then the Tid the Season was uh, Saturday, a week ago from today. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to get into that because that I forgot to mention that at the top of the podcast, sorry. Um, so yeah, so I was getting into them like, a few months before, and they just happened to be coming through Syracuse. And I remember going to that show, and I think about that show often because that definitely wasn't the last because there was still, like, three, like two to three more solid years when you were seeing, like, these crazy mix of bands um, that I was really stoked on. You know, you're getting... You think about 18 Visions as their own, like, certain brutal concoction of like metal and hardcore and rock and roll and they have it in scripture on the best of record the best of record is like a new song and then re-recordings of old songs so it's not really people get confused by that because they think it's an actual best of record it's just re-recordings of stuff that had been out of print and a new song motionless and white which most motionless in white got their name from you know famously or infamously whatever um but they had an inscription that I always loved. It said, we're, we're uh, hardcore kids playing metal music in a rock and roll band. That, like, I remember getting that CD. And I had picked that one up right around the time I picked up, uh, you know, and it came out in, like, what, late 99, early 2000. Like, and whenever Until the Ink Runs Out came out, because I picked it up after it actually came out, obviously, because I was into them after that record drop, so I wasn't old enough. But, uh, you know, I was like, whatever, 10 or, or 11 or 12 at the time. So, you know, 13, uh, 14, 14, 13, I picked up that record. I picked up uh, the best of when it came out. Or a little bit after it came out, whenever that one came out, I think it came out in early 2001. But I remember reading that in scripture and saying, like, immediately I was just like, fuck, this is, this is the band for me. This is, this is the band. Like, I can't think of a, a better saying, like, 
They didn't shy away from their rock and roll influences. They didn't shy away and say, no, we don't play metal, really. We're just a hardcore band. They had the ideals of a hardcore band in the sense of not even necessarily the songs themselves, although they do have, you know, nods to being straight edge, and especially in, on the newer record, which is great. Um, but in those older ones, like, you know, there's obviously talking about drug use from, from other people and stuff and kind of uh, releasing upon that. Um, but that that line, you know, we're hardcore kids playing metal music in a rock and roll band. Like, that fucking... That, uh... That always... I knew right then that they... I got what they were saying. And I don't think many people did beyond that point. Because every record was such a jump. But anyway, uh, before I dive into that... Yes, that show, like, you have Hope's Fall. Which is kind of like... They're kind of hard to categorize as well. You know, because they have, like, melodic stuff, but they're super, like, energetic, and there's, like, a melodicness to them. And then you have fucking Lamb of God, which, what was even out? New American Gospel was the only thing out, like, at that point, I think. And they were, like, on the toes of releasing uh, Until the Palaces Burn. So they were at the, you know, top of their fucking game, for sure. But super fucking just brutal. And then... You know, you got Poison the Well and 18 Visions that are like trust kill, uh, you know, uh, staple bands for that for that label. And it was just like a different mix of people. And I'm so glad that I got into that at the tail end. Obviously, the beginning of it being like probably like 99, 90, 98, 99, 2000 and stuff. But then I got into it, you know, probably the beginning to the middle of 2002 going to all those shows. And for about two and a half years, I got to experience, like, all these huge mixtures of shows, probably until early 2005, of just, you'd have these super heavy bands, and you have these bands that are, like, a little lighter. And, like, one of the last times I saw Eighteen Visions in Syracuse, they played The Furnace um, in 2005. And it was headlining tour, you know, uh, their first headlining tour, I, I think. Second second headlining tour on the Obsession album, because I think they were touring when the album actually came out. And I saw them at the Furnace, like, uh, probably, like, eight, seven or eight months prior. Right, like, literally a week before that record came out in 2004. And then seeing them the last time I saw them in 18, or in 18, in uh, Syracuse at the Furnace, they played with Emery, which is, like, a Christian, like, uh, you know, pardon my... F- genre terminology but screamo band uh remembering never who's like just straight up fucking like brutal like metal metallic hardcore band and then misery signals and then like uh, a weird like you know again quote unquote emo type band and then like a murder of crows which was a local like uh, metal band uh so it was always just like i always love seeing those huge mixtures of shows of different bands and there was no guide there's no guidelines and there was no lines there was no segregation of like well these are hardcore bands they have to play with hardcore bands or these are metal bands they have to play with metal bands and these are emo screamo freemo bands that have to play with emo schemo screamo freemo bands uh and it was just like a concoction and that's all i've always been like that's all i've always ever been 
If you had to, if you ask me right now what my top bands, favorite bands of all time are, I'm going to tell you they're the Ramones, 18 Visions, probably Motorhead, <laughs> Dokken, Slayer, and Smith, and the Smith slash Morrissey, if you want to cash one in or out. But, and those are my favorite bands. And if you want to talk the rest of my top 10, I'm, you're looking at like Every Time I Die, Newfound Glory, probably Bayside. You know what I mean? There's no like, I don't, it's so hard to like, and then what? Uh, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, like Metallica, like I like everything. I've from older stuff to like, I'll fucking jam Dokken and then I'll throw on Cannibal Corpse. Like, I don't care. Like, I like what I like. And that's what I always loved about the mindset of 18 Visions is they like what they like. You know, these shows that James played, James wearing a, uh, that, James Hart was wearing. He was wearing a fucking Duran Duran shirt. I was like, that is fucking sick because I fucking love Duran Duran too. Um, and you could tell that maybe, you know, maybe three older people knew who uh, Duran Duran was if they see the, saw the shirt. But anyway, but yeah, and then um, I remember, you know, being like super, super into them. You know, this is, I was like immediately like sold on that band. Um, and then, you know, fast forward just a few months later in like august they put out vanity i get vanity and there's a huge backlash because i don't even i don't even know if it was because of the pink album cover which i loved i was fucking stoked i was like oh this is fucking rad what a rad way to have your album come out like just fucking pink with like a like a corner of a fibonacci spiral like coming in and there's a fucking like like a light like silhouette type fucking fading image of a girl on it's like this is fucking so rad fuck this is sick um and there was a huge backlash and then like the older kids that were like and they were like yeah fuck that fuck vanity and i was like jesus i was just like how the fucking this fucking record's great it's still one of my favorite records. It's so I think that was the first cohesive piece that they put together. That's not to say that until the ink runs out wasn't a cohesive piece. Because again, oh my God, we could talk fucking I could talk forever about the influence eighteen visions has had. All the, the sample tracks from movies. I know there was like maybe one or two bands that were doing that prior. Um, but let me tell you something. Eighteen Visions made it fucking cool because guess what? When they started doing it and they had two or three four or five on fucking like yesterday is time killed and they did the same thing on, until the ink runs out and then they did the same thing on vanity it, they made it fucking cool to have those movie c- clips in there and they always had the best like you look at fucking obviously until the ink runs out you have like the fucking from the ed Sull- was it the ed sullivan show when they hit they were uh you know uh, where they had the the clip from Elvis, they obviously had a couple shining quotes in there, which is fucking amazing. And they had a fucking sick ass shining shirt. That said, uh, "I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains and print on the back." Fucking amazing. Had to pick it up. Last extra large. Glad I grabbed it. Anyway, um, and then you look at fucking like yesterday's time killed had like fucking <laughs> had fucking Bram Stoker's Dracula fucking quotes on it, and then. Fucking Vanity had Fast fast Times at Richmount High, like fucking River's Edge, like, uh, what else was on there? Like a like a weird, creepy redux of uh, the Manchurian Candidate, like, uh, but that's another thing, too. They, they maintained, like, a creepiness in their style throughout all their records. Each record was a jump. It seemed whenever they put out a new record, they were trying something different. They were... 
you know, whether or not that they were stretching themselves uh, because they just wanted to experiment more or because they wanted to just move the band in a different direction. And there's no denying that, you know, with their last record, they they took a swing for the fences and tried to really go for it, which I fucking love. I respect. And I think that record still holds up just like all the other records. But and uh, I remember like because right before that like i immediately like i had no access to get like until the ink runs out until i saw 18 visions and they had it like on cd at their merch booth but before that i'd gotten a a burn cd before that show because i was just like oh i'm fucking learning these songs because i fucking already love this band um so i remember seeing them they played like maybe like a half hour set when they played that show in, in april of 2002 it was April. It was probably April. I think it was April something. Late April, maybe. Um, but I remember fucking just like losing my fucking mind. It blew my mind. And then seeing them a few months later when they played for they played right around. I think they. I think that was. I think that was every time I die in Nora. And it might have been Hope's fall too. I think it was Hope's fall. <laughs> um. That's where maybe where I got uh, every time I die in Nora confused with the show in April and then the show in around August when Vanity came out and there was a huge backlash on Vanity. I'm sorry I'm so scrambled or whatever. There's just so much to talk about with this band. I'm trying not to have a two hour podcast because I know people don't listen to two hour podcasts unless it's like something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Um, but yeah, it uh, that record came out and I fucking loved it and I still listen to that record. And there's so many fucking goddamn riffs on there that were written by fucking... I'm not sure if Ken wrote any riffs, because he did write guitar parts. I know for Obsession, because he wrote the Tower of Snakes breakdown, which you heard at the top of the show. Which, I, I put it up there with fucking, like, Strife Blistered. Like, made probably my two favorite breakdowns of all time. <laughs> fucking Tower of Snakes. Listen, I just saw 18 Visions two times for the first time in about 11 years. And guess what? People were still fucking losing their fucking mind to tower the Tower of Snakes breakdown. And we're going to get into that shortly. As soon as I run through their career and talk about what they've meant to me and all this fucking stupid bullshit that I need to, you know, spit out into into the microphone to, I don't know, to appease whatever. I'm fucking just, I'm so self-absorbed. It's disgusting. I, I'm sick of myself. Anyway, um, yeah, it's such a... Those riffs on Vanity that Brandon Schipetti and Keith Barney wrote are fucking so... They're so brutal. They're so complex. They're so all over the place. They're so fucking sick. And I just love them. Like, I... And the drums... The drums are a fucking phenomenon. And probably the most underrated drumming, I think, are on those early 18 Vision records. Because the drumming always stuck out. Ken Floyd's drumming always stuck out for me. I'm not sure why, but I just fucking adored the drumming and maybe it's because the snare sounded super tight and had this certain snap to it but i don't know he was just the drumming always just like i don't know it's just sexy drumming it's just fast sexy fucking drumming i don't know it's just fucking i don't know what else to say about it i'm not a drummer i couldn't tell you about his patterns or anything like i couldn't break it down like that but i just always love the drumming the drumming on vanity is fucking like the drum sound on vanity is fucking phenomenal and the drumming is just it's underrated and i and i've told keith barney this before 
I told him, I go, dude, you're an underrated riff master. The fucking, and, and I don't like to fucking blow smoke up people's asses or anything, but, you know, I, I had a chance to, to speak with, uh, speak with the guys a little bit after the show in Baltimore and just, uh, just, you know, just trying to, I, the last thing I want to do is punish someone. And, um, especially just cause I've grown up and I, every, after every show, those guys are always just hanging out. Especially the sense of, you know, you look at, and nothing against Avenged Sevenfold, but you look at Avenged Sevenfold, um, even when they were in, like, their younger, you know, I remember when, before they put out uh, City of Evil or whatever that record was, City of Evil, yes, um, I don't think that they were ever, like, I don't remember ever, because I remember seeing them open for 18 Visions and open for Bleeding Through, and I don't remember ever really seeing, like, those guys super out in the crowd or anything like that. I think one or two of them, but, like, I don't know. 18 Visions just seemed like always such a down-to-earth band, like, always hanging by their merch, like, always, like, just chilling in the crowd, like, never hanging out, like, behind the fucking stage or whatever. Um, They kept those hardcore roots. Um, And, uh... But anyway, like, uh, yeah, the fucking riffs on and drumming on Vanity are fucking underrated. So, and then Obsession comes out. And I'm not going to lie, when I first heard Obsession, I was like, shit, I wish it was a little heavier. But now that record has grown on me so much that I I have fucking have the... I, I have a, a design from one of their, you know tour cycle t-shirts tattooed on me because that record had grown to mean so much to me as far as the songs and as far as the time period as well especially the time period when that record came out it just like hit at a a certain point in my life where i related to all the songs and everything they had successfully transferred from like a metal hardcore band to a real rock and roll band um, for Obsession, I think. And then they went, you know, with the next album, when they went to the self-titled, it became, you know, rock and roll on a grander stage because they had signed to a, a major label and they weren't, they still worked with Truskill, but they weren't on Truskill, I think. But I think Truskill is still printed on the back of that so that maybe they did like the little, I, I don't I don't know what the, the deal was with Truskill and Epic, but... um. To think that, you know, and then the backlash was even bigger. Like I said, every album that they put out, there was a significant loss. They they lost more fans, like, with each album, but they grabbed different ones. They didn't, they lost, like, the metal and hardcore fans, but they were grabbing all these kids that were, like, lost in the fray as far as, like, maybe they didn't want to go to the heavier shows or they weren't into the heavier music, but then they were grabbing those kids that were, like, I like, I like fucking, what's that band called, like, Dead Poetic, is that the name of that band? Like, I like Dead Poetic. I like Under Oath. I like these bands that have a little more melody and stuff. So then I think they were being more easily sold on a band like 18 Visions once they had, you know, kind of altered and and progressed their sound into, like, the Obsession sound, which is so funny when I see people try to write, like, what that sound era is. And they're like, uh depression emo screamo core like they don't even know what to do like just because they have a song that says obsession uh desired uh depression um doesn't mean you have to label them a depression core band like that's fucking so absurd but 
I think they they were yeah, on obsession. They were really wearing some '90s influence. Like I think you could definitely feel like good '90s, but it's a lot of the '90s sucked. Like I think you were. I was feeling like more like uh, Smashing Pumpkins, honestly, a little bit. Uh, but such great fucking songs. Uh, I love every song in that record. Um, and, uh, I guess, uh, once I finish talking about the next album and the new album, I'll tell you my favorite track from every song because I'm self-important like that. And who doesn't want to hear what I have to say about 18 Visions? I think everybody should, but I mean, what can you do? But then, yeah. So Obsession was just such a, and they were like, you know, I think that's their best selling record, which is, is hilarious because you wouldn't think that that would be their best selling record. Um, but I believe it is. Um, and I, another thing I loved was, uh, the, all the, every time they put out a record, it was something that caught your eye. Now, what exactly it was, you know, with, uh, until, until the ink runs out. They sold it in a digipack, which I love. And that was one of the first digipacks I ever saw. You know, the cardboard or the paper sleeves that fold out. Um, and then obviously, like, Best Of was just it, that they didn't, there was nothing like too jaw dropping about the packaging or anything that was memorable. But that line, you know, we're metal kids or hardcore kids playing metal music in a rock and roll band, I fucking like that stuck out so much to me that i've mentioned it 700 times in this podcast but then vanity like having a pink album like no one had a pink album cover at that time they still don't really have pink album covers um unless it's like a wham single maybe wham had a fucking pink album cover can someone confirm or deny lou smith can you confirm or deny if wham had a fucking pink album cover or maybe a single cover either way um and then obsession i love that had the white like silhouetted floral like sleeve that slid out on it and i remember getting like the cd promos of that like i still have cd promos i have a lot of like uh like shit that i just had masked over being you know a huge 18 visions fan uh but yeah uh such a fucking and tower of snakes it's just every time i saw that from the time that they put that album out they had closed i think they've closed with that every time i've seen it and it is just fucking it's chaos it's it was the second time i saw him you know they like like a headlining tour and they had jason strout uh because ken at this point ken had moved moved to on obsession uh brandon chapetti had left on i think bef- right before vanity came out or like i'm pretty sure like right before vanity came out he left so a lot of those uh, vanity t- tour t- tours on vanity, I think, were played as a four piece. Um, and then Ken, who was on drums, moved to guitar for Obsession. I think that they recorded the album as a four piece, and then Ken, um, and then Ken moved to guitar, and they got. I remember Jason Strout, who I think's from Kentucky or St. Louis. St. Louis, I think he's from, and he was in a couple different like hardcore bands and stuff. Uh, drummed for them on the first like obsession tour and then i remember catching them they opened for the kill switch engage and a heartache tour which was like that september which they played like i remember these sets so vividly because that was the 
one of two times I've ever just like stood and watched 18 Visions and not lost my mind. And I had to stand and watch because I got there late. Luckily, I didn't miss anyone, but 36 Crazy Fists opened, and then it was 18 Visions, and then it was... Uh, then I think... And then I think it was From Autumn to Ashes, and then... Yeah, and then uh, Kill Switch Engage. Amazing fucking show. Either way, I remember... I remember um, that was when they I had first... I think they played as a four-piece then, too, honestly. Because I don't think... For some reason, I don't think Trevor was on that tour for whatever reason. Um, and then I remember seeing a you know, Tower Snakes video that came out like a month after that. That was like September 04, so then like October 04 or so. I remember seeing the Tower of Snakes video. I was like, fuck, fuck. And I was just like, just getting so stoked because I was like, the video is just fucking sick. But uh, I remember just like, no, nah, they're five piece again. Like, I hope, like, I hope they're five piece again. Uh, and then, of course, you know, fast forward to February 2005, I saw them. And I have the tour poster sitting in front of me right now. It's an 18 Visions, Emery, Remembering Never, Misery Signals, On Tour Now, Trust Kill, Tooth and Nail, Sponsored, and Radio Takeover, uh, Sponsored Tour. But I remember seeing that, and I remember uh, loving the show. I actually got into Emery. Um, I was already into Remembering Never Misery Signals, and that was the second, first time I'd, second time I'd seen Misery Signals. Um, and I was blown away by their set that night. But, you know, I'm think, fucking thinking back almost 13 years now. It's so wild. Um, but I remember 18 Visions closed with... Uh, they closed with Tower Snakes, and I think they encored with Who the Fuck Killed John Lennon, which I was shocked and, and fucking just like ecstatic on. Because they hadn't played a lot of those uh, songs at all the last few t- times I had seen them at that point. But in the Furnace, if anybody who's listening to this remembers the Furnace in Syracuse, and like, where is it, Lakeland, or you know, outskirts of Solway, Lakeland, uh, not far from where I'm located now. Which is funny, because you used to have to drive 25, 30 minutes to a show, and of course now the furnace doesn't exist, where it would be literally a five-minute drive. Uh, but that's how it goes, right? And uh, so, I remember them hitting, you know, the, the, the beginning of that breakdown for Tower of Snakes, and everything went fucking... And another thing I loved about about them was for... I think it was for that show. Uh, there was, like, these little, like... I don't even know what they were. Like, they were little tiny lights that always stayed on in the venue, no matter who was playing. Um, and uh, someone came out on stage that was with them and was just like, can you? Can we get these lights off? And they asked like two or three times until they actually got the little tiny lights off. And I'm sure someone, whoever was in charge of the lights or whatever, was like, why the fuck do these guys need this off? But it was all about the ambiance. It was all about the show. And they always had a commitment to the way their show came off and, and looked and... and uh, and it was just fucking great, like, the fucking lights, uh, and always fucking had <laughs> fog machines, it was so fucking rad, but I remember when they were doing the Tower of Snakes, uh, breakdown, and it just being, this just strobe going off, and just seeing people, like, you know, moving in that slow strobe motion, um, and my friend Rick, who was with me, run as fast as he could across the pit because it was just starting to open up because he wanted to get out of harm's way because he was so afraid. And he was running for all he was fucking worth, and it broke when he was, like, in the middle, 
So he had was just trying to get out, and it was pure fucking utter chaos. Um, and it was like it was just fucking it was phenomenal. And I had caught them twice after that when they were touring on the self titled. The self titled record they recorded with Machine, and I remember seeing all the like video updates and stuff. And I was like, "Fuck, this is gonna be like you know a huge record. Like it's on Epic. Like they're on Epic now. They're gonna be gigantic. This is crazy." Um. And it didn't pan out that way uh, for, you know, several reasons. You know, obviously in 2006, the CD sales are, you know, fucking really starting to fall now, you know, because, you know, LimeWire is in full effect and people are full on, like, just stealing music at this point. And, you know, it's it just became worse as time went on or whatever. Um, but then I think they just did, they just never, Epic never pushed that band. And I love that they wrote a song about them on the new record, or at least their A and R guy or whoever the fuck the guy they dealt with the epic was. But um, and I remember seeing him on that, and I was like, "Fuck! Like I'm into this. Like I'm I'm into this like full on rock and roll. Like like a lot of people are like, oh, like Event Sevenfold is like the new Guns and Roses, and and if you know if a new Event Sevenfold was considered Guns and Roses, like." Like, 18 Visions was, like, Def Leppard because they were just such an arena rock, in, in arena rock mode at that point. And it was so, it was sick. It was fucking great. Like, everyone's like, oh, this is fucking unlistenable. Like, all the kids that were, like, you know, still into metal and, like, fully it would not leave anything that was metal or hardcore. You know, the, the elitists, the guys that won't ever listen to anything outside of that and expand their minds or give anything a chance. Like, I was fully into it because guess what? I fucking grew up loved loving Guns N' Roses. I grew up loving Def Leppard. I grew up loving Stone Temple Pilots. And and James always had that kind of like Scott Weiland swagger about him. You know, that was someone he was always compared to when, you know, people would try to like say like hardcore kids or metal kids would try to shit talk eight dimensions. Like, oh, he's a, they're a fucking STP ripoff. Like, they're a heavier STP. Like, it's fucking sick. It's rad. Like, but those are the kids that are like, think it's uncool to listen to Stone Temple Pilots. It's not uncool to listen to Stone Temple Pilots. Dead and Bloated, Wicked Garden, Wicked Garden. Those fucking songs are fucking classic tracks, and they're super sick. And fuck anybody that doesn't like the the real STP. But regardless, um, I remember, um, I remember kind of like you know you could see the record not doing well and stuff, and I remember I pre-ordered it. Um, and I saw him a couple times on that tour, and it was fucking great. And I remember, like, going to Warp Tour for, like, uh, we went for, like, I think Sean and I went for, we went for Every Time I Die and Thursday, and it was, like, sick. They had six sets there, and we were just like, let's fucking go to Warp Tour. And 18 Visions were not advertised. I knew nothing about them being on Warp Tour, but they were playing the fucking Buffalo Day to the Warp Tour. They played a fucking amazing set. It was so fucking sick. Um, and that is definitely the strongest that band ever sounded live was as a five piece. Uh, was Trevor on drums, as much as I love Ken Floyd's drumming, Ken Floyd on guitar, Keith Barney, who was we haven't mentioned it yet, but he was the original singer in Throwdown, obviously. Uh, he came in on yeah, a little after yesterday as Time Killed, I think. I think he might have came in on a little after No Time for Love. Like he, he, His first album I think he appeared on was Until the Ink Runs Out. 
Um, and I think the band's just, that was the biggest blessing that band ever received was Keith Barney. Um, what a fucking great guitar player. What a fucking just memorable riffs. And, you know, obviously he sung for Throwdown and Throwdown and 18 Visions, like coming from, you know, the outskirts of Syracuse, New York, and now, you know, living in Syracuse, New York for the last however many years. Uh, you'd think, you know, obviously naturally Earth Crisis would be my main, you know, the main proponent of me being straight edge, which they played a role. There's no denying that. But Throwdown and 18 Visions were like the first straight edge bands that I was really fucking into. Um, so I I credit their music and their the movement of, you know, that Orange County hardcore stuff, you know, with me being straight edge because the right music, especially like those earlier earlier Throwdown records were saying something to me. And they were talking about Straight Edge and uh, are fucking phenomenal records. And we're going to do a Throwdown episode sooner or later for sure. We need to. But, you know, that was such a solid lineup. You got Keith Barney on guitar, Ken Floyd on guitar, uh, Trevor Frederick on uh, Trevor Dark Baby on drums, uh, James, of course, on vocals, and, and R.I.P. Mick Morris on bass. Um and, uh, you know, the band ended up breaking up about a year after that label. Yeah. Oh, well, like the label dropped them and then, you know, in early 2007. And then I think they had their last show on April 20th, 2007. So over the course of those 10 years, I had always paid attention to all the side projects because I loved all the side projects, you know. You know, Trevor played in like Combi Christ for a, a moment. The uh, Keith and Trevor did Never Enough, which was great. Keith also did Monument to Thieves, which was like a more traditional throwdown style hardcore band. Which was fucking phenomenal. He put out some sick ass shit. Um, and James st- started already had a record deal, and then got dropped, and then picked up and put out uh one two three records with burn halo uh records i love each one of them is different from the other up from the ashes uh it's fucking their second record and i think it's their best record it's fucking phenomenal it's amazing rock and roll songs i fucking love dearly um and i'd caught burn halo every time they came into the area um and uh and ken really never touched music beyond like i think a high def band like it was like a a band that he did for a while and now he is the tour manager for zed but within those 10 years i was always rocking 18 visions like always like still listen to them like they never exited rotation i never got like oh that's what i listen used to listen to no if i listen to something i always listen to it i never change i don't fucking alter and i say this all the time i've been the same person i've been since i was 16 years old uh you know you know, at 16 was like the cutoff when I officially discovered everything I needed to discover about who I am. At 16, that's when I became vegetarian. Before that, I was already straight edge. So that was the cutoff. My ideals were set. I'm straight edge. I'm vegetarian. I haven't ate meat since then, since 2004. I haven't, I've been straight edge and I haven't done anything. There hasn't, and even all those high school years, like, yeah, you'll drink, you'll drink. No, I have no desire to drink. I have no desire to do any of that. Uh, it's my choice. It's no one else's. I don't give a fuck what anybody else does. Uh, there's always, like, you know, 
you have all the friends that went straight edge around the time you did or went vegetarian or vegan the time you did and no one's the same anymore. I'm the same. Guess what? I'm 29 years old. I'm going to be 30 in less than two months. And guess what? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I'm still straight edge. I don't eat meat. I'm still vegetarian. (laughs) I still listen to 18 Visions. And I don't want to get fucking married. Those are the same fucking ideals I've all had since I was fucking 16 and before that. But they still carry on. I don't fucking change. Uh, So for years, people would, I'd rock a fucking 18 Vision shirt. Like, oh, man, that fucking band, blah, 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 blah. Just hardcore and metal metal kids, quote, unquote. You know, kids that go to a show for like two or three years and then stop and never return. And then just leave, lead boring lives that they get you know dwis or or beat their girlfriends or whatever the fuck they do um and uh i never changed so when they announced that they were coming back and it was so funny because it was about a year ago uh my friend chris who's an 18 visions fan of, of their whole catalog like i am um he had said you know do you think they'll ever get back together i was like nah i don't think so because you know m- you know especially like, I think Mick dying left a sour taste in probably their mouths of 18 Visions of them wanting to do it. So I don't know if they would ever want to do it again. I don't think they would. I think if they were going to do it, it would have happened already. So many bands have already, like, broken up. And there's, there's like, bands that have broken up and done reunion shows within those 10-year ten period, ten year time period 18 Visions have been gone. So I kind of written off any chance of 18 Visions ever getting back together and doing anything. So, um... They, uh, when they, when I saw like an Instagram post with like the new, like one of the newer 18 logos for the record, I was like, holy fuck, this is crazy. This is fucking insane. I can't fucking believe this is happening. My mind's fucking blown right now. This is fuck. I lost it. I was like, my favorite fucking band is coming back. Like, how the fuck is that? How is that possible? Is that really going to happen? Holy shit. So, you know, once they announced, they dropped a new song, Oath, in April. And the same day they dropped, I think, like, they dropped pre-orders that same day. I fucking placed two pre-order packages. Merch now sucks, though. Fuck. Guys, if you're listening, don't ever fucking, no band ever fucking do merch down. Please, if it's through your label or whatever, just vehemently decline it. Just fucking no. Merch now, it's terribly run. Anyway, um, so I was trying like hell because they announced their, you know, on the anniversary of Mick, Mick Morris passed away in 2013. June 2nd or 3rd, I believe, um... And Mick was someone I had stayed a little bit in contact with. And not that I fucking, like, was boys with him. We didn't fucking, like, I didn't drive out to Salt Lake City or or Orange County or wherever he was living at the time to chill with him. Which I think at the time of his death he was living back in Salt Lake City. Um, uh, You know, Mick had joined after Until the Ink Runs Out. And, you know, I think the first appearance... Or, or you know, first time he appeared was on the best of when on those re-records, um, and he was like, 
he was such a, a staple in that band too because he had so much energy and he just had like they all had like just such that rock and roll attitude you know while playing this heavy fucking concoction of music um and uh he's someone who i had uh you know we were talking about the myspace days talking about like 2007 when um you know that band broke up and stuff he would always like uh he'd throw occasionally just throw like extras of shit he had on sale like he would throw up like online to buy and stuff and I had bought like a like an 18 visions uh vanity 7 inch cuz I had already had the red and the white uh 7 inches but I didn't have like the the pink 7 inch and then they released the full length on a picture disc and I had that but I that was the one piece of vanity vinyl I was missing was the pink 7 inch and I had uh and he didn't even post it for sale or anything I had just messaged him on MySpace um and he was super cool and he sold it to me for like little to nothing like pretty much for shipping and I got it and uh you know and I had gotten like just like he'd thrown in some pins and stuff like that and that had happened a few times with just, like, random stuff that I just, like, hit him up and asked him if he had any extras of. And he was kind enough to send him out for little to no money. Um, and uh, he was – it was a bummer when he died, man. It just kind of, like, fuck. Like, I was just like, well, that fucking is terrible. You know, your favorite band that could play together again. You know, because obviously the Ramones, there's no chance they'll ever play together because they're all dead now. But um, I remember just being like, fuck, like that is so like, and he had a he had a kid and it was just so brutal to hear, especially because like, I remember seeing him like a hate breed show because he was teching it for hate breed. And I like came up to him and I can introduce myself and just bullshitting with him, tell him like how much I uh, loved 18 visions and shit. And he was, like, just super fucking rad. Just, like, I couldn't get the guy to stop talking to me. You know, we were just bullshitting and talking about, like, you know, those older Syracuse shows. And the first time he, he came to Syracuse and, and, and all this shit. And super fucking nice. Um, So it was a, it was a bum out, man, when he when he passed away. Um, And I kind of, and I know they had tried to get together a few times uh prior to his passing uh but you know obviously nothing ever came together but i'm i'm glad that through his death they've decided to not um replace the bass player i think because mick was such an important part to that band uh you know in those and they you know obviously were thought that much of Mick that they were just were never going to throw a new bass player on um and they run a live track and it's just it's not even noticeable at like at all at their live show now which is great too but uh I think that's incredibly honorable of them and shows what kind of good dudes they are that they didn't like just go out and like not do anything and obviously the record's dedicated to to Mick and they have uh James wrote a short little thing on the final version of the of the record uh about Mick which is really fucking cool to see. But when they drop that fucking when they announced they were getting back together and they drop that pre-order and they drop that oath, that song Oath, which is a fucking straight edge song. And that was the first time I see see the video. They obviously pay a little little tribute to Mick with the with the guitar with the bass sitting there. And they have Josh James of Evergreen Terrace 
and Stick to Your Guns. And, of course, one of my favorite Straight Edge bands, Casey Jones, um, playing guitar. I was like, fuck, they got fucking Josh playing guitar because Ken, unfortunately, couldn't come back. He had commitments to Zed because he's Zed's tour manager, so he's obviously carved out a hell of a life for himself and good for Ken Floyd. Um, super fucking bummed that Ken couldn't be a part of like the newer 18 vision stuff because he was such you know he's an original man like him and james are like the two the two original dudes like so it was a bummer to not have him there and it and and for for a minute i was like man is this is this this gonna feel like 18 visions like it would know like mick's dead and ken isn't there is this still gonna feel like 18 visions and after I tried to make. I tried to swing the show in Orange County at the observatory. I couldn't do it. I couldn't fucking take you know three days off work, um, and I couldn't fucking afford uh, you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of a plane ticket there and back on top of everything else. I just I I tried as hard as I could to make it work, and I I might have, but I might have missed a fucking car payment if I did. So I couldn't do that. Um. But regardless, I did make it to the Baltimore show. And let me just tell you, I'm going to do a top 10 at the end of the year, and I'll talk about it then. But 18, the record, it's the record of the year. It's, for me, it's fucking every song's great. It's the perfect album. It's the best. I think it's the best 18 Visions album. It perfectly represents everything that that band has ever done from everything, from like having a straight edge song or two to having fucking movie samples to having like every aspect of their sound explored from the most brutal to crazy breakdowns to super melodic shit they nailed it all and even that rock and roll like pumped up like victim black and bruised swagger like you'll get on like picture perfect and stuff that song every song's great uh it's my album of the year and we'll talk about that more when we talk about our my top 10 of the year which hopefully i'll be doing with eric tyler um but yeah, going. I remember I drove down to Baltimore, and I'm fucking. I was just so fucking stoked, and they had an amazing fucking set list. Um, all the bands killed it, you know. Uh, Tourniquet opened. They're obviously super influenced by you know those earlier bands, like 18 Visions, and they're a straight edge band. Uh, Old Wounds, who I'd seen, I've seen uh, a few times, and you know Kevin, their former singer, is back, and they fucking killed it. And then uh, Knocked Loose is just, there's, I don't think anybody in the hardcore realm is as hyped and as as supported as Knocked Loose. Everyone's going off for Knocked Loose. Every time I see, see them, I, you know, watched them, watched their set every day at Warp Tour that I was on there. And, you know, for four or five days like fucking the biggest some of the biggest crowds of the day besides like fucking maybe guar um just insane just complete utter chaos and like they're young ass kids man and they fucking uh they're killing it and it's great um and then 18 visions goes on man and it felt like 2000 fucking two all over again you know, you got the the fog machines, you got the fucking lights, and it was just fucking amazing. And that those guys are all in their late thirties now, 
Oh, my gosh, Trevor. I think Trevor's a little younger. And you got Josh James now playing guitar. And like I said, there was no bass player because that's they run a track. And you can't even tell that they're running a bass track. Trevor is that good of a fucking drummer that he keeps time. And, like, I don't know. It's fucking – the band, whole band is just perfect. And the fact that they can lose a bass player, not replace him, run a live track, not get Ken Floyd back – introduce josh james who's obviously a well-respected guy in the as far as guitar player goes and as far as a person goes they had to go out and they had to fucking i'm not that it'd be crazy hard because there's plenty of people who are still straight edge that i'm but there's a lot a lot of people that aren't so to get someone that would one be into the music two be into the the idea of stepping in and playing that kind of replacement role and being straight edge and just aligning everything up. It's perfect that Josh James was in there. Fucking, it was like 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005 all over again. They played fucking flawlessly. Every song sounded like the fucking record. Identically. Fucking sounded perfect. They fucking closed with Tower of Snakes. It was fucking crazy. I mean, I really can't say much else. Like, they played a fucking perfect set list. I'm actually stoked for them to keep playing these weekend shows because they'll never go on full U.S. tours, which I love and respect. They all have their own things going on. You know, James works in a salon. Keith has his own company. Uh, I think Trevor's still tattoos. Um, and Josh is obviously in Stick to Your Guns and stuff, so they don't need to commit to a fucking 200 to 250-day touring schedule anymore. Um so I'm fine with them doing weekends. I'll fucking travel. I almost fucking drove on the other side of the fucking country for one fucking show and then flew back. Um, and I drove down to Baltimore and then, you know, drove from Baltimore, uh, stayed at my buddy ET's, uh, that night, drove two hours into Pennsylvania, then drove home to Syracuse. And then the next day when I got home on that Friday, the next day, Saturday, I drove to tis the season, tid the season in, uh, Buffalo and they played a fucking amazing set there amazing and that was the second time i've ever just stood and watched 18 visions without freaking the fuck out because in baltimore i was losing my fucking mind i had to fucking be up front singing for every fucking song because i hadn't heard those songs live in so long and when your favorite band gets back together and they're playing a fucking headlining show that's why i didn't want to go to which i'm glad i went to the baltimore show because the new york city show they played less songs they didn't play as, as long as of a set so the longest set that they've had a headlining show outside of their hometown release return show which they played dead rose fuck i wish i was there um is the first uh you know the, the longest set they played of this whole weekend run where they played baltimore they played the vanna's last show in worcester at the palladium and then they played uh to the season on saturday and then they played uh the gramercy in nyc on sunday um so the fact that i could see their longest set of the weekend i'm pretty fucking stoked and the fact that i got to see them play with every time i die because every time i die in 18 visions kind of grew up grew up together you know what i mean obviously 18 visions is from orange county california and every time i die is from buffalo new york but they came up in the same way at the same time and we're like touring together pat all those years ago and to see how huge every time i die is now uh i gotta touch on it a little bit tid the season three thousand people sold out the buffalo river works wrestling during the fucking day and then at five o'clock or four thirty, whenever it was the band started Every band fucking killed it. It was amazing to see fucking 18 Visions. Like, people like people that either were fans and, and then weren't and then saw them live. Now, 
it was fucking chaos. It was total brutality when Tower of fucking Snakes hit. And people, like, emotionless and white, it was insane. It was insane fucking seeing 3,000 kids, like, obviously not all 3,000. I was part of the probably, like, 200 that were standing up in the balcony watching. But I had to, because it was a bigger show, obviously there was a barricade and stuff like that. I just wanted to sit and watch their show with the with the, with the fog, with the lights, with the fucking, because I'd only done that once before, and that was 2004 when I saw them with Killswitch Engage, and that was because I couldn't get down there because that show was sold the fuck out and cram-packed and... And Lost Horizon, which was Club Tundra at the time, and they had blue spark- sparkly walls, uh, had probably overpacked it by 200 people anyway. Um, so I couldn't get down on the actual floor to lose my mind for 18 Visions then. So the only other time, I, the only other time, sorry, I'm slurring my words because I'm talking so fucking fast because I'm so fucking stoked. The only other time that I had watched uh, them besides that time was the set last Saturday at this point. Uh, so to be able to watch their full show and then just watch kids go fucking nuts when motionless and white hit, I was like, finally, these motherfuckers are getting paid the fucking respect that they fucking rightfully fucking deserve. And it was almost a vindication being an 18 visions fan, you know, the last 15, 16 years, uh, it's definitely vindication to see them come back and for people to be like, fuck. 18 Wishes is no fucking joke. Yeah, they've never been a fucking joke. This band's always been fucking top-notch. But I digress. Uh, but I gotta talk about every time I die for a minute. Like I said, there was wrestling at this event. There was fucking curling. They had, like, fucking a place where you could take a picture with the big Christmas-lit Old English eye, like their logo. Um... It was really amazing. It was really amazing vibes. It felt like it felt like a Hellfest, you know. It felt like which I hadn't been to since two thousand three. Uh, blew my mind. Uh, such good vibes, and every time I die is they're the they're they're the kings, man. Of of what they do, they are the fucking kings. And they played a fucking insane set and so much energy, and they put so much hard work into. It. And it was probably one of the best shows I'd ever seen. And the fact that I get to see my favorite band with another one of my favorite bands every time I die is fucking way up there. I think between every time I die, Hatebreed, Newfound Glory, those bands, I don't think I've ever seen any band more than those three bands. And every time I die probably leads the fucking pack on that. I've seen that band so many times. And every time I see them, they fucking get better and better and better and better. That band has never taken a step back ever. They fucking are constantly getting better. And, and you know, to the same to the same effect, 18 Visions. This fucking new record, they sound as good now as they ever have on record and in live format. And I can't tell you how fucking excited that makes me. So being able to see 18 Visions headlining show in Baltimore and then going to see Tid the Season, which is every time I die annual Christmas show, which I already bought my ticket for for next year's. It was so nice. It was such a fucking awesome experience to see that. Um, it made me feel really good. I felt really good inside. I felt like I had kind of touched touched my past again, as far as seeing you know where every time I die it went from opening shows locally, you know, opening like the. I remember they opened for, I think they opened for Atreyu and, and Lamb of God at the Lost in 2004. 
you know, and to see them headlining a 3,000 cap sold out fucking show where people are just losing their fucking minds and they could have sold another 3,000 tickets probably. Um, not that, you know, 6,000 people or 3,000 people is a fucking lot, but for what this is to see diehards that bad, like, I don't know. I think it's awesome. They're not fucking, yeah, they're not selling out fucking shows, 45,000 cap stadiums or whatever, but it's huge. It was huge and it was awesome. It was amazing. It was such good vibes and, and most respect to every time I die for pulling that off and for making, you know, it possible to see another one of my favorite bands in upstate New York, 18 visions. I mean, granted I did drive down to Baltimore two days prior, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been such a, such a fucking awesome, awesome year for music. And I can't wait to talk about my, um, I can't wait to talk about, uh, my top 10, uh, which 18 visions is on for sure. Obviously. Um, but you can check us out on Hard Guide Media. We're going to have another Christmas episode coming. We're going to talk about Christmas movies. Our favorite Christmas movies, best horror Christmas movies, best non-horror Christmas movies. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to get, you know, we got John down in, uh, up in Vermont. We got Eric down in Pennsylvania. We're going to try to get these guys on so we can, um, so we can get them all um, to talk about it. Because, you know, living out of state isn't easy. Um, to align schedules and stuff, but I'm sorry I've been lacking on stuff. It's the holidays, so I've been super fucking busy, and there's just a lot going on, so I apologize for the lack of episodes, but we are going to have a Christmas spectacular. Hopefully, it's going to be like two hours long. It's going to be dropping before Christmas. Hopefully, that's the plan, but I needed to get this 18 Visions, uh, I needed to get this 18 Visions episode out just because this, uh, is so fucking, uh, integral to me as a person and as a music fan i needed to talk touch upon this so if you want to hit us up at heart Gun media on twitter at heart Gun media on instagram uh give us a follow i see people in indianapolis there's always a new city that's discovering this um podcast so if you're in um if you're in um indianapolis thanks for listening i see you've been listening um but yeah follow us listen to us on soundcloud on apple music download subscribe leave a rating uh we're gonna be back but thanks for listening to me talk about 18 visions and here's 18 visions with crucified